Hello, I'm Toby. I like Doctor Who, and I'm about to watch a story chosen for me by a friend with the aim of mining it for positives in order to guess what their favourite things about this particular adventure are. So join me, watch along with me if you like, or just listen as I chat to you, offer facts, opinions and observations, but mainly try to get us to those special planes that Doctor Who takes us to, those happy times and places. You're listening to Happy Times and Places, a positive Doctor Who episode commentary with me, Toby Haydoke. Let's meet our special guest. Hello, my name's Chris Boyle and I'm a full-time A-level law teacher and an incredibly part-time comedian and podcaster. The story that I've chosen is The Day of the Daleks, and the reason I've chosen that is because I do have problems uh, with the Third Doctor. Um, He should be my favourite. He's played by John Pertwee, he wears velvet jackets, he does incredibly complicated fight sequences whilst holding a glass of whiskey, and yet, more often than not, I find him a bit pompous and a bit superior, and it gets on my nerves. So I'm going to see if I can find the positives in a Third Doctor story. Well, welcome to Happy Times and Places. <laughs> I've got no idea how this is going to go. You're watching Doctor Who with me, either as a video, uh, possibly alongside the episodes, or as an audio, again, possibly alongside the episodes. I guess you'll work out how you like to do it best, which might be not at all. Um, and I'll work out how to do it best, but, but how to do it best but uh, I guess that's all part of the journey that we're on uh, 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 seeing as we're going nowhere uh, in any other sense uh, I uh, like you I'm sure are currently in currently in lockdown so um, that wasn't entirely a stumble free uh, introduction was it well that's uh, how it's going to be this is uh, unrehearsed and off the top of my head and let's see what happens. That blather has hopefully given you a chance to line up Day of the Daleks, episode one. However, you are watching it. I am watching it on the official BBC DVD, which is available uh, and you should buy. Uh, <laughs> uh, and here we are. We're going to press play in three, two, one. Well, there was quite a gap between me doing that at the start of the episode, but I guess that will happen. Welcome. I'm watching Day of the Daleks. A story that, uh, like many Doctor Who stories, I first discovered through the Target novel, and it's one of the better Target novels, because uh, Terence Dix, who was later doing them, I think, <laughs> once every other day, uh, uh, was... was one of a bevy of writers and and seem to have a bit more time and a higher word count and uh, it's it's a great book opens with a character called Moni uh, who we see later as Monia uh, on some sort of journey but not here this opens I think better for the TV series in the in the in the haunted house uh, so it's quite nice it looks like it's going to be um, uh, will you get the idea that it's uh, well certainly maybe I'm I'm misremembering him from the book you get the 
the the sort of mystery that has he seen a ghost and actually it's a ghost uh, from the future. Wilfred Carter here as Styles, uh, one of many pompous bureaucrats uh, we see in Doctor Who of this era. Although he is a pompous bureaucrat who uh, is apparently the man who is going to save the world, and I quite like that that he's uh, you know he's 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 actually no saint. And this is um, this is Tim Condren who's a who's a stuntman actually. Um, yeah, we're we're out of ghost story territory immediately. That's a that's a man in fatigues, so um, and with a with a futuristic gun. So, um, and it was curious. I remember it it being slightly confusing because the, I think the book very early on, or this this part of it, starts with a gorilla running through the forest or running through the grounds, and it's gorilla G U E R. But it confused me because it had the ogrons on the cover who look like gorillas um and i mean i was i was reading these books um before i was ready to really because i was so fascinated by doctor who i read books that had loads of words and situations i didn't fully understand which meant i then read the books again later and perhaps again later still uh and uh, i was remember not quite understanding the difference between a gorilla and a gorilla until I said to mum I thought gorilla was spelt like that and she went oh yes a gorilla is a sort of you know soldier freedom fighter type thing so I learned a new word I'm not quite sure what at the age of how, however I was uh, uh, the, how useful the word gorilla was going to be to me but uh, nonetheless um, I, I at least knew what it meant should I ever be uh, <laughs> needed uh, uh, to fulfil the role of a gorilla, I I I like Joe's costume. I'm but I'm maybe I'm a tie wearer. We do like we do crave things in our own image, don't we, narcissists that we are? He said, doing a podcast where all the talking is done by him. <sighs> now, um, oh, she's so magical, isn't she, uh, Katie? Now I'm going to have to be. Um, good here because left to my own devices I would always choose moments from actors uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you where things were filmed or uh, you know locations are not my thing by Richard Bignall's location book uh, but I will probably bore on about obscure things about the actors because although this is because in the book this scene here where the doctor and Joe meet each other and have a chat uh, is a bit of a sort of timey-wimey thing um, and was supposed to be a sort of witty bookend to the story so that we got this scene again at the end uh, uh, but from the other perspective and there's and, and it's interesting because they've got the yellow CSO cloth there but they they haven't replaced the background now I'm, I know I can't, I'm not sure if they intended to but you could in the earlier shot you could see the floor uh, which would have which I think did cause a row between the designer and the, the David Marskoff Jones and the and the director Paul Bernard uh, and I think and I know Paul Bernard had done an experimental session to try because CSO uh, color separation overlay is also known as blue screen Although, I th and I think I'm right in saying that this is the first time yellow had been used, which means that Joe can wear a denim dress uh, because, uh, or skirt, sorry, because blue would normally uh, disappear with blue screen. 
So uh, just no yellow clothes for Joe this week. Um, but actually, there's no CSO in operation there because they didn't replace the background. I don't know if they intended to, but I, I certainly know there was a there was a problem because they didn't paint the floor yellow or colour the floor, which meant they couldn't do... Yeah, which I think meant they couldn't do the keying. Um, and yes, there was certainly a row between... And I think Paul Bernard had a background in design. Uh, he's certainly a very visual... This is his first Doctor Who, and he's a very visually interesting director. He brings lots of sort of jazzy uh, cross, crossings between scenes and... Uh, and some bits in, uh, in in the future that we'll see later. Uh, uh, there's some really experimental and exciting stuff. This is a nice location. Um, and, oh, Tim Condren is back again. Uh, he's, he's He pops up a few times in Doctor Who. He even gets a line in the Web of Fear because he's one of the soldiers in the Covent Garden fight because they're all, um, I think, pre-Havoc stuntmen. Uh, and I think he goes, they're coming, sir! Or something like that. Um and uh that's a funny old uh, running running shot anyway um uh and he got acting parts i saw him not that long ago in a very odd um nigel neal play uh, with roger daltrey where he had actually quite a reasonable part but he's normally he's there to get thumped and fall fall over uh i love the ogrons don't you uh i i think their costumes are absolutely fantastic uh, the the leather thing that they've got going on, but the colours, those done colours, uh, and they look really good, and they're really tall and sort of. Uh, but I, yeah, I remember being slightly surprised because on the on the book cover of Doctor Who and the Space War, the novel of Frontier in Space, that the the, a, the painting is of a of a sort of location shot of the Ogron where the hair is sort of curled. And it looked, and I thought for ages the the ogrons had a sort of sideburns that turned into a, a a hairy growth that went into the into the mouth. So they'd have a sort of almost like chewing their moustache. But actually, that's quite a nice design idea. It wasn't. It was just the angle that the the hair was curling at. But yeah, I thought I thought an ogron had a sort of had a sort of yeah you know, sort of slightly moustache, but coming out of the side of the mouth and up up the sideburns. Uh, so I was quite surprised when they when they didn't when I finally saw them. But um, a bit like Chris, who's chosen this, I've only heard his introduction. I will hear his favourite things at the end of, the, you know, the appropriate episode. Um, he's challenged himself with this one, and he's challenging me because he found Pertwee uh, difficult to like. I've 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 always enjoyed Pertwee, but I I have to say when I when I first saw his stories, having imagined them from the Target books. They, they were always a disappointment and I actually had to, uh, although this location stuff's great, it's fantastic, there's a real sense of, of scale about it, all those extras and the, uh, and you know, you could see far into the distance, that's a nice big shot. Um, but they were, they were never quite how I'd, uh, how I'd envisaged them and, and it was only much later, actually I did a, when I did my book with Rob Shearman running through corridors and I sort of, watched with a view to enjoying and I watched in context that uh, I learned to sort of love the Pertwee era as much as I did others um I it now it must be something to do with the costumes but I think I think the soldiers in this the unit soldiers look more soldierly than they sometimes do uh 
and I don't know why that is. I think it must be the costumes, but Benton looks Benton looks great in that outfit. And there's that that brilliant picture of him, isn't there, with the with the walkie-talkie, which is a great uh, a great shot of Benton, um, one of the publicity pictures. And here we are in the future. We don't know yet, but people have shiny faces and the sets are lit green. And um, <laughs> I love this bit. For all the wrong ways. Now I think that's this was filmed at two different times. So the the, the wide shot with the with the two of them and the back of the controller's head, um, where he goes no complications, w was filmed first. And then I think they retook the close up because they decided the ogrons had to speak in a different way. Which and he had he had a different line as well. So it was it was changing the uh, the. The, the content as well but i guess maybe they did that because um they they didn't want the ogrons to speak like no complications they wanted them to speak um so <laughs> but it is a bit like burr, 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 burr. yes and no complications um, but um fortunately they don't have many lines but the slow drawl it does it does work with what they look like i don't think you'd want them to come in and say uh, my lord, I have brought you news from Rome, uh, which is essentially sort of what he's doing, but uh, in future speak. Um, although that would be quite funny if they were terribly, if they were terribly Shakespearean. But there's quite a few Shakespearean monsters in Doctor Who. There are quite a few sort of droney droney monsters in Doctor Who as well. But I, I, I think, I think the speech pattern they went for is better. Although the fact that he then now I'm not supposed to be watching this archly. The things I enjoy cannot be, oh, I like it because it's rubbish. Because I don't like Doctor Who because it's rubbish. I, 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 I'm a great, you know, I'm, uh, I, I, I don't watch Doctor Who with, um, you know, a, a sort of uh, arch postmodernist eye. Um, and I actually get a bit, now I'm all for people to sort of enjoy the sort of compy, campy, frothy nonsense that Doctor Who can sometimes be. Although, again, Doctor Who was never really camp to me. It was always... I don't think I've got a good camp uh, camp radar. Um, uh, although my partner says I can be uh, sometimes camp and I don't know what she's talking about. Um, but um, I, no, I enjoyed Doctor Who because it was exciting and it was scary. Um, and, it w and when it was funny, it was when it was meant to be funny, when the jokes were good or the, the actors did a witty thing. Um, and I went through a period actually of getting very cross with people that, um, sort of like Doctor Who because they thought it was rubbish um, partially because that's how the media sort of went that was the story the media told so then people at say university would say to me oh yeah Doctor Who was good because it was fit enough wasn't it I was going no you did, you weren't watching it when you were eight going ha 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 yes uh, I'm, I'm sort of rather archly askance at this you were you were you were thrilled and excited and a thing that can do that is good quality now obviously we're watching stuff that's quite old and so certain naiveties or ways of doing things that are dated or looks that are dated now can cause us amusement but um i'm i'm less switched on to that i think not that there is anything wrong with people enjoying doctor who in a different way from me and unless as i say they're sort of slagging it off which doesn't does annoy me um uh so so i i'm i'm when i i think it's cheating of me i i think I, 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 yeah, I think it's cheating of me if I choose something because huh, it's a bit rubbish. 
um, because I, I no, I'm 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 looking to I'm looking to enjoy this on its own terms. But who knows? Who knows? This is early days for this podcast and this video, and I will probably be uh, dictated to by what you want. Should anybody send me feedback, and I'm not shouting into the void, love that. Although I just saw a boom, but I it's kind of worth it for that lovely sort of pan back. There's a real there's a there's a real sort of sense of depth with the sets there in uh, in Dalekville, um, which which I know is a, a common thing throughout the story, and I'll I'll probably be talking about again. Uh, and I, I do like I do like the costumes in this. It's who I think it's Mary Husband, isn't it? And I think it's her only one. Uh, what do I know about Mary Husband? Not much apart uh, apart from whose husband. Uh, wasn't her husband. I think she was the partner of Jimmy Perry, one of the co-writers of Dad's Army and the Crofton Perry. I'm not telling you which one he was. Um, sitcoms uh, for many for until he died, I think, at the time of his death. Uh, Mary husband. Um, uh, and I, in fact, I think I put somebody who was writing something about this in touch with her but i don't think they had much luck uh, uh sometimes that happens i get an email going do you know where so and so is and i go well i don't but i'll find them uh, and, and i did <laughs> um uh, that's how i spend my time sometimes unpaid um and there's a lot of people like that in the sort of world of doctor who sort of you know sharing knowledge and uh, and helping to add to the the great sum of some total of things that we know and people that we track down. Uh, I, I'm often calling upon uh, other people to go, have you ever tracked down so-and-so? I love this. I love the guy. In fact, I've done a podcast ab about this, one of my other podcasts, um, Indefinable Magic. I've done one about food and I use this as the sort of the key text <laughs> in my, uh, in my uh, sort of Doctor Who foodiness. That's a nice shot of the sergeant's feet. And yeah, the way they're shooting the soldiers, they look, uh, I think they look more realistic. Um, uh, and then this is night, isn't it? It's darkness, it's closing in, which is lovely. And that going into the tunnel and the and, and the time effect, that's that's really good. Um, and we're back with Pertwee. Yes, supping his wine. The doctor is a pretentious wine bore. And yet I don't care because John Pertwee does that very well and in a way that to me is not annoying nor pompous um uh chris because i i kind because i think he pitches it just right but what this did to me i can taste that red wine because of the acting and because of the way that it's written uh, i can taste that gorgonzola cheese um, and when i was a kid my mum was very much for she grew a lot of our food because we didn't have much money. So, you know, f food wasn't just uh, uh, something that she'd worked hard for to buy. It was also something she worked hard for to, 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 to bring up from the very bowels of the earth. Um, so we had to, you know, we were taught to appreciate food um, and, and we would sort of try new things. And she liked things like blue cheese. So that was on the table. Uh, and I remember trying it, thinking it was manky old stuff. I mean, it is. It's basically curdled milk that mould's grown on. But I love blue cheese. And now the oozier a cheese, the better. Um, and, I, and I love John Levine's acting of, 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 the, 
of the thwarted famishedness um and 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 i remember and i remember the unjust i don't like the way richard franklin drinks the wine because if that's a good wine there's no way that would knock you sick if you guzzled it like that although actually it's not as bad as i remember it um i remember him sort of draining the whole lot like it was ribena it's actually not as bad as that so i might give him a pass uh, the memory has cheated but um the idea that yeah that that food um you know that those complex flavors were something a, a gourmand like the doctor a man of sophisticated intelligence and experience would sort of savor and enjoy i got that idea that so if i didn't like a food it wasn't because it was nasty or horrible it's because i i hadn't quite sort of assimilated it yet so i i'd go back to it and, and now a, a glass of red wine and a and a pokey gorgonzola would be right up my street i don't drink anymore so sadly uh I, I won't be having any of that red wine but i can taste that i can smell it um but that, sadly the only uh the only things around here that are sardonic and cynical are me and age has done that <laughs> not in a barrel um uh and one of the reasons i i've chosen to go with this one i've had a i've had a few friends um, I, I sort of sent out a, a May Day going, I'm doing this podcast, um, uh, you know, choose a story, tell me some things. And, and uh, a, a, a few came in and Chris, Chris was amongst the first batch. Lovely Chris Boyle. Check out his stuff. Um, but the reason I thought I'd go with Day of the Daleks, because it's four parts, which seems to me, uh, you know, the standard. In fact, when I was growing up, I thought all Doctor Who stories were four parts. I was utterly baffled when I discovered, because uh, I, I mean, my earliest memories are... Um, sort of key to time season season 17 in particular um uh so four parts seems to me to be the sort of you know the, the standard model of doctor Who. now you two sure if that that could be a great 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 granddad um obviously and, and he sort of enjoyed doing that which is odd because they're goodies um uh, so, so they make they make very little effort not to not to kill anybody um now this is, uh, and and one of the reasons I sorry I I chose this one as well is that uh, Shura, who we've just seen k kill somebody in cold blood, is played by Jimmy Winston, who, as I record this, has just passed away. He was on my to-do list of people to contact. Uh, 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 he was a keyboard player with a rock band called the Small Faces, which will mean an awful lot to those of you who know a lot about music. Uh, and he would have been uh, a fascinating subject for an interview. But he is on the uh, he is on the DVD. And uh, Steve Roster, I know, who interviewed him for the documentary, said he was a great bloke and a fascinating uh, interviewee. Gypsy Kemp, who's this radio operator here, uh, uh, was also known as Sarah Kemp uh, and acted under that name in Australia, where she became one of the few. And I don't know if there are any others. I'm sure there probably are, but she was a regular uh, actor actress in sons and daughters the australian soap that uh, uh, we would get on in the daytime uh, before davis and home on away came and uh, uh, dominated the schedules uh, sons and daughters was the australian import and sarah kemp was a regular in that and i think katie knew katie manning knew her i don't know i I've, i have talked to katie about this and i can't remember because the problem is now when i interview people i'm so got so many eyes on the recorders working and everything being right and bloody bloody blah and actually doing my job that i don't actually retain the information so it's i have talked to 
to Katie Manning about Gypsy slash Sarah Kemp. I think they were mates um, out in Australia. She's uh, no longer with us, sadly. Um, Gypsy Kemp. Um, the, uh, this is glorious, isn't it? John Pertwee drinking a glass of whiskey whilst doing karate on a guy. <laughs> that is so Doctor Who. That is so John Pertwee's Doctor Who. I think Pert was great. Um, now we, we, we. I, I've never quite got to the bottom of of why the factotums uh, of the future have shiny faces at all and, and and speak like that. Um, you know, it's to suggest that they are Dalek-y, I guess. I love that um cut from the control room to the same shot of the controller in the Daleks control console although i don't remember that screen being as wobbly as that and i it's really wobbling in the wind i i, I remember that being sort of and i've seen this many times and as a as an adult you know so this isn't a childhood memory um being faulty that's that's flapping away isn't it uh, but nonetheless it facilitated that great cut is an enemy of the daleks i mean you could just bore people to death goldie um <laughs> uh that yeah they're not the greatest dalek voices but i'm here to celebrate so let's uh jump over that this this is very this 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 uh this this um fading between daleks is quite a nice way to herald the end of the episode the daleks are back that is episode one of day of the daleks uh which i don't know about you i found plenty to enjoy in uh, and I haven't even mentioned uh, Aubrey Woods. Um, uh, but I have to choose something that is my favourite thing about that episode. And I think it has to be... Um, it has to be the cheese and wine. Um, it has to be... Uh, I, th I think... The fact that, because I remembered from the book the RHIP thing, and I and I wondered if that was something that was in the book, like a, a like a lot of things that then didn't make it into the TV version, like Trenchard's uh, safety catch in in uh, in the Sea Devils and various uh, uh, various other bits that had been really memorable in the books that that turned out not to be in the TV episodes. That one is uh, in the TV episode. Um, and I and I love the look on John Levine's face. I, I, I and I, I remember thinking it's so unfair. Um, so even though it's just a sort of little bit of, uh, of of comedy in the episode, it's it's actually very memorably done. And and I particularly like what it what it says about sort of the enjoyment of uh, of complex food uh, and 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 how your palate is something that perhaps needs needs to assimilate stuff in order to to enjoy things that are complex and and strange which you know doctor who itself is so uh it's the cheese and wine party it's my favorite thing about episode one what is my friend chris boyle's favorite thing about episode one my favorite part of episode one is um aubrey woods um, he's possibly the best thing of the entire story, to be honest. His performance just gets better as the story goes on. Um, he plays the controller, and his stillness, his diction, oh, it's amazing. He completely sells the most ridiculous character in this episode. Um, he looks like an evil Gary Newman, but he plays him with the gravitas of Daniel Day-Lewis. Superb. 
I'm also going to predict that Toby will mention Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory during this episode. Uh, well, you predict wrong. I, did, I barely mentioned Aubrey Woods at all. And I think subconsciously that's because I, I, I'm keeping sort of stuff in the back of my head in reserve in case I run out of things to say. Um, I, I, and I, I love Aubrey Woods and I know he's going to be some an aspect of this that I will talk about a lot. But, but Chris has been quite canny there, I think, without realising it, because he's now chosen, as he says, he gets better as the story goes on. So I probably had Aubrey Woods up there in reserve to do for later episodes, uh, but now can't because Chris has chosen him. That's one of the rules. I'm not entirely sh- sure what the rules are, but that's that's one of them. I can't pick something that's already been picked or I don't know. Um, Wales gets set on fire. As I say, the rules are a bit a bit vague at this point in proceedings. So Chris has chosen Aubrey Woods. I've chosen the the Gorgonzola and the wine, which is so which was so memorable, and I I find very enjoyable. And as I say, I like what it says about I'm a fu- I'm a I'm a firm believer in 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 not wasting food and in trying new food. And uh, and there's nothing that I won't I won't eat actually because I've gone back. To, to try things having not liked them and my life is better for it um so uh so there we go that's the end of episode one so night is drawing in ghosts are around let's uh, see if i can get through day of the daleks episode two without three gorillas storming in and holding me at gunpoint uh in the hope that that doesn't happen, I'm going to press play in three, two, one, go. <laughs> I I can already this early in in the podcast slash video, I can see a theme developing where I press play and there's either a massive delay. There's not either. There is a massive delay in that time. It's because it didn't actually kick in because the. The Blu-ray player is behind me because of plugs. It doesn't matter. Um, I love this title sequence. Louis Marx, of course, wrote this. What an odd career he has with Doctor Who. He turns up and does Planet of Giants and has an episode lopped off. Um, oh, yes. And the the the, the Dalek lady woman here um, she actually fluffs. She says the same time, time zone. But because it's at the end of the episode... She's uh, uh, she she gets the ignominy of fluffing twice, um, and again, if it, if you're if you're like Gypsy Kemp's character, if you're a uh, you know on the radio and you go, oh, sir, it's, it's the same time, time, you you can sort of you get away with that because it's you know people stumble. Uh, in fact, people stumble in real life much more than they do in drama. But if you are a staccato alien wax lady, uh, <laughs> I think that's the one time you can't stumble to add a bit of naturalism to uh, proceedings and of course typically that's when it happens typically at the end of the episode um uh the the shiny faces thing is 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 interesting uh, because if it was the if it was just the the sort of waxy space future ladies um you could sort of go well they've undergone some sort of dalekoid conversion but uh but the controller's quite waxy faced as well it's like they're cosplaying as autons um, ah, and of course that's weird isn't it the uh the 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 playing of the the theme sting uh uh which is not something repeated before or since which means i'm i'm 
I sort of like it because I like it when they do different things. Look at the depth of that set, the way that the Dalek set is positioned, obviously in the floor layout, which means that, because that's not going to be a whole set behind them, but because of the angles, it, it gives you a real sense of scale. And the size of the doors, which are quite small because they're Dalek sized, but depending on where you stand, they give a different, a, a different sort of feel. Um, is really interesting stuff because uh, often Doctor Who uses height to suggest things that are imposing or scary or a sense of scale. Whereas here, actually, those small doors, um, well, they do give a sense of scale depending on where they're shot, but also there are times when the controller's uh, sort of going through them and they seem very small, and that makes them sort of slightly cramped and disorienting. It's it's what they do with scale in this in the set design, particularly in the future. Uh, the set design and the direction working in synthesis I think is really interesting and then you throw in the vision mixing where there are fades and there are cuts from you know a shot of a person to that shot then being in a monitor I think is is some really good quality visuals now here's a thing um, Anna Barry playing a gnat uh, and, and she's done she's done bits of Teddy going back going back quite a long way but uh, she was the daughter of she's still still the daughter of well he's no longer with us uh, michael barry who was the head of drama uh, at the bbc in the 50s responsible for hiring among many rudolph cartier who directed the quatermass serials and uh, who i will frequently ask people about working with in my podcast as certain people have pointed out <laughs> jonathan morris um it's like uh, Yes, there's like a drinking game. If you listen to my Who's Round podcast, what was it? You worked with Rudolf Cartier, of course. Um, so Rudolf Cartier, along with the words verisimilitude and beguiling, are ones that uh, 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 if there was a drinking game for the stuff that I whack out to you, uh, would, would probably be worth several tumblers full. So I will try and avoid them. But Anna Barry, yeah, is the, is the daughter of Michael Barry. She was in a film called a short film that won an oscar a couple of years ago this the silent child i watched it because it was about a, a deaf child and i have a a, a a stepson who is uh deaf and uh and anna barry turns up as the as the grandmother in the in the film which is lovely and yeah it won an oscar it's a beautiful thing i think it's called the silent child but um and i've only noticed this because i'm watching it on quite a big screen is that something She's mentioned in Linda Bellingham's autobiography, um, Anna Barry, uh, as being a friend of Linda Bellingham and as being someone uh, who was in a car accident uh, and uh, I think I think lost an eye and had to, because her partner was a plastic surgeon um, had, had sort of rebuilding. I could see I could see a, a little bit of a a, a, a scar there. So that's. Uh, uh, and I'd, I'd sort of dismissed that and I wasn't going to mention it, but it is in the public record because it's in Linda Bellingham's book. So I hope it's not prurient of me to mention it. And I only mentioned it because I, I sort of saw the scar uh, uh, there. It's only very slight. She's a beautiful, striking woman. Um, and, uh, and and obviously plastic surgery and things were, were in its infancy then. But there we are. So there's an interesting thing that I hope is not whereas the, the the extra behind the brigadier's hair this this the the hair that that lady has looks like it's been rebuilt by somebody with a lot of 
That's a lot of volume. Uh, and I think Anna Berry, by the way, is excellent as Anat, and she is exactly as I'd imagined her from from the book. I remember seeing pictures of her, going, "That's that's pretty much what I thought she'd look like." Um, and she plays the part very well and very strange. Um, and and um, and I started off this episode talking about Louis Marx, who yes had had an episode of Planet of the Giants chopped after it had been recorded, which I think is never a good. Uh, sign uh, and then disappears from Doctor Who for ages then comes back and does this, writes a story that isn't about the Daleks because this wasn't a Dalek story this was a time travellers from the future story you know, the the, the averting uh, the disaster from the future, I love the lighting in this and the I love the lighting in this cellar scene um, and um and so, yeah, he writes this story that doesn't have the Daleks in. And I believe, I think in the scripts, the Ogrons aren't called Ogrons. I think they're called Monster. That's a bit, that's a bit lazy. At least, come on. Yeah, yeah they've got some monsters. And they were supposed to be dog-like, uh, which would have worked, I think. But um, uh, the, the, I think the, the, the ape-like, gorilla-like thing, gorilla-gorilla confusion aside, uh, and they look so good. Um the costumes, you know, going with the mask looks so good. Um, uh, <laughs> the Doctor being locked in a wine cellar. And then Louis Marx doesn't come back to Doctor Who for ages. And then just two stories in quite close succession, Planet of Evil and Mask of Mandragora in the Tom Baker era. But it's an odd sort of... He works for three different regimes, um, but isn't a sort of regular uh, for, for, for any of them until and, and, and the end when he does those couple for... For Tom Baker and I, I alluded to before that there's a sort of there's various people who when Doc 2 stuff is being prepared a, a sort of give give their time to be a sort of network of helpful people and uh, this was the first time I think I felt I'd been any use uh, because an old friend of mine Mark Patterson at university um, had, had said when you know because all my friends at uni knew I was a Doctor Who fan said, oh, my, my family know a guy who wrote Doctor Who, Louis Marx. Uh, I think Mark knows Louis Marx's daughter. So anyway, when they were preparing this DVD, I think they were struggling to find him. Uh, and Mark had befriended me on Facebook. And uh, I, like, I like the shooting of this scene. Um, Doctor and Joe are in the cellar, he said, conjuring images for people who are just listening to the podcast. I'll, I'll get this right, I promise. And... Uh, and and Louis Marx, uh, yes, they they tried Louis Marx's agent, and his agent said, "Oh, I think he's dead." And I hate that when people just go, uh, 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 just assume, you know, assume some assume somebody's dead because they did something a long time ago. Especially if it's somebody's agent. Uh, I I think that's what happened. So I don't wish to be bad mouthing an agent in case that was misreported to me. But they 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 certainly didn't know where he was, and I think there was an assumption that he died. And I hadn't read he died, and I I felt that was news to me so i would investigate so i actually dropped mark a line by the wonders of facebook and mark i haven't seen mark in 20 years but he'd always ring up when, when i remember when moth saint my doctor who scarf went to the west end he just rang up and said oh you're doing thing well done yeah, lovely man um and he uh, and i said uh, i sent him a message on facebook saying are you still in touch with louis marx's family and actually he was and they got a message to the daughter and louis marx was poorly i think in living in israel um, but what that meant was that the that the residuals for this, which 
would have gone to, I think, an agent who didn't know where he was, actually ended up, uh, he was, you know, he was reconnected with, with monies that were due him. So I think because of that, uh, I feel it might be the only useful thing I've done in the entire history of my association with Doctor Who is ensure that a writer towards the end of his life got a few residuals that he was due when uh, certain people didn't know where he was. Um, and of course he was in Israel because uh, and Mark, my friend, is, is, is Jewish um, and, and, the, and the freedom fighters are called Anat, Boaz and Shura, which are, I believe, um, Hebrew-inspired or Hebrew names. Um, and of course, you know, that, that part of the world has, uh, you know, freedom fighting going on and, and sort of guerrilla warfare and various various other bits and bobs. So, you know, he was obviously, uh, uh, you know, trying to evoke some of the, the feel of that, if not, if not take on the, the politics of it. Um, uh yeah, so that's Jimmy Winston Ashura, who's just just died recently, which is a shame because I would have, uh, uh, he, yeah, as I say, he was on my list, and, and and Steve Broster said he was such a lovely guy, and Mark Ayres knew him as well. I think Mark Ayres went to buy Mark Ayres, the Doctor Who composer, went to buy some sound equipment off this guy, and it turns out it was because because he he did sell sound equipment later in life. That was his job, uh, and it's Jim Jim Winston who went. Oh yeah, I was in Doctor Who. Um, but Shura in the book is, I think, a younger, sort of naiver type of figure, a sort of young blonde guy uh, to give a slightly different dynamic to the to the three of them. Um, but he leaps about his game. And I love this because uh, I think this is where he gets got by a, uh, an ogron, isn't it? Uh, and he's got, oh, he's, does he got is he sort of said free to eagle? He's a bit he's slightly cockney. Um, uh, but then this stuff on location looks uh, looks great, yeah. And he's this sort of there's a sort of tough sort of bit of spittle going on in that performance. But that's great. The oak, the the, the way the ogrons tower uh, uh, and and that costume, they're great. They're great. I love the ogrons. They're a superb addition to uh, the Doctor Who universe. That's a nice shot through a bit of the set. Um, you know, Doctor Who directors, uh, because because it's science fiction. Well, no, I think because television at that time, because you were shooting, you know, multi-camera, which you only really shoot a, a, a soap with now, and, and they, a, salt, a soap would probably bulk at that sort of shooting. But uh, with something like Doctor Who, you, you need it. And what I like about Doctor Who of this period is that a, a director will dictate the visual style and indeed the pacing and everything and, and the music, you know, the sound of it, the director, we as Doctor Who fans, you know, can identify a Douglas Camfield story because it's probably shot a bit closer in and with, you know, beads of sweat on people's foreheads and slightly sort of chilling, uh, uh, you know, ethereal music and, and, and certainly, a, 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 you know, an aptitude for toughness and action uh, and, and, and convincingness in, in the rough and tumble. Whereas other, other directors uh, bring different things. Paul, Paul Bernard, you know, is clearly very visually very ambitious. Ah, now... I very much, again, this was another bit I'd remembered from the book where, of course, 
the soldiers ring. So instead of giving themselves away, the guerrillas go, okay, we need to get the prisoners up. But the doctor can't give anything away because somebody's holding a gun to him and Joe is under threat. So he does this thing, which is don't forget to tell the Marines. Now, as a kid, I didn't know what that meant. I'm still not entirely sure. Tell it to the Marines. It's something like, isn't it? It's a... It's an it, it's an idiom. It's a, fr- a phrase that that means um, uh, tell it to the Marines because the soldiers won't believe you. I think I think if somebody said things like you know the moon is made of cheese, yeah yeah, tell it to the Marines because the soldiers won't believe you. It's something like like that. So, but w- what I loved, but without knowing the the details of it, um, was that the doctor had a thing that he could say that would mean there was a tacit understanding between him and the brigadier, which would tip the brigadier off, which is exciting because you know, all right, he's old prisoner, but the good guys are coming and the, and the bad guys, they're not the bad guys, but the, the other lot don't know. Um, uh, and yeah, I, I really liked the sort of the cleverness and the tricksiness of that without, without knowing all the exact details of it. Um, and I remember this bit where Joe gets pitched forward to the future and assuming that was an episode ending because it's a big, you know, it's a big development. And of course, the mystery of the, the gorilla disappearing early on. Um, but uh, but actually, it's not. It's just a it's just a it's 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 just another, you know, this, this, this bit of progression for the story. Now, that's bold because there's a fade there, a cross fade as the controller spins his chair around and it's not entirely flush but it it works um uh, and you know you're used to everybody having to freeze for locked off shots but they go no we're going to have the controller spinning around and we're going to make that work she will be better off dead yeah 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 oh dear cuz she's in the future where everyone has a shiny face um but, and here we are, I can't choose him as my favourite thing, Aubrey Woods, and I haven't mentioned Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, although uh, he's the candy man, the candy man can. And I, and I knew he was uh, a musical performer because I remembered, I think Jason Donovan was on Wogan. Uh, and, and then they had a few of the cast of Jason is Technicolor Dreamcoat, I think, that Jason Donovan was doing at the West End, and Aubrey Rood- Woods was one of them. And that tipped me off that, oh, OK, he's an actor, but he's also a man of, of musical theatre. Um, and, and I think Barry Letts is quite hard on him on the commentary for this on the DVD, uh, which is unusual for Barry Letts because he's a very generous man, very generously minded. Um, but I, I, I think he felt that this performance was slightly out of kilter with everything else. But I think it... I think that's why it works. I think it needs to be. And I think if you've got a waxy face, you've got to, you know, you've got to differentiate yourself from the sort of down and dirty, yeah, sort of the, the, the gorillas who are the, the, the other guys who are a bit more sort of naturalistic and hurling themselves about. This sort of theatrical body language. I mean, he's got silver nails, for goodness sake. He can't, he can't exactly lounge about chewing the cud. Uh, so I know I do like Aubrey Woods very much. I think he's got great presence. Um, and I also think he's very good at suggesting that the controller kind of believes what 
he's saying and I think that the journey that he goes on is really interesting. Uh, he's also, of course, Krantor in the Blake 7 episode Gambit, which if Barry Letts thinks he's a bit camp in this. Oh, <laughs> but again, it's, it's, a, that's a, it's a great episode of Blake 7 that uh, where everyone is dialed up to 11 on the campometer, <laughs> including uh, John Leeson and Bill Filer and... Oh, gosh, and Professor Cronotis and Amelia Duca. It's a veritable feast of uh, Doctor Who types uh, having a whale of a time. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's very precise in his movements, isn't he? Um, have, we ha have I missed the bit? Was I chatting where he said, now you've told me the year. <laughs> which is very good because I'm not getting into the unit dating thing uh, oh oh is there a I think there's a documentary on this called the unit dating theory which I which I ended up um, narrating because I was around and cheap <laughs> this is great because it cuts doesn't it to the comes in and then it comes out and he's on the monitor screen love that that's glorious that's really fun although again it was wobbly in the last episode i didn't notice it was on strings sometimes clearing up the picture can make can spoil things i first watched this on a sort of grotty bootleg it will have looked a million dollars um albeit a million dollars like it was underwater and a hundred years old um and the, and, the, and the sort of framing of the Daleks is, is nice there. I've just put my hand in my cup of tea, fact fans. <laughs> uh, the lighting in this cellar set is very nice. I'm presuming there's not much of it. and uh, But it's suitably atmospheric. Um, and where better? <laughs> if I was John Pertwee, I'd just free myself and just stay there for a bit and go, well, it's, it's a lovely couple of little numbers here. Oh, there's a... There's a cheeky Rioja and uh, and uh, and uh, and a very avant-garde avant-garde Merlot and uh, and a Malbec that's a right obtuse git. Um, oh, they look terrific, don't they? The Ogron was always played by Rick Lester. I remember in, in any picture from Day of the Daleks in Doctor Who magazine, it was always an Ogron, Rick Lester. You thought there was, and, it was, and I'm sure when I saw the end credits, I was like, there's millions of Ogrons credited, but it's always Rick Lester. He's the, he's the, perhaps it was in his contract. Uh, there's a bit of a delay when, yes, I love Scott Fredericks, but he's, his, his throwing himself on the floor after being hit by the door acting was like it was on a slight, slight, slightly delayed. They showed this bit uh, on the news when John Pertwee died. And I was furious because... Uh, the Nick Hyam, the BBC arts correspondent, you'd think would have liked the arts and television, and although well, television is counted at the arts, which is why people patronise it. Um, but if it's so easy to make television that millions of people watch and that, uh, that lasts for generations, uh, you try it. Um, I, I will come back to Nick Hyam uh, because this is quite important. Um, in the special edition, uh, Greedo shoots first, I think, does he? Um, I think it's such a shame. I... I the Doctor for me is not somebody that um, 
disintegrates even lumbering um slow-witted uh, uh ape-like factotums uh, of evil machine creatures because he he could have got out of that without killing the thing and and seeing as this is the era where the doctor does lots of lectures to people about you know peace and goodness and all of that sort of thing and the doctor generally doesn't take life i know he often has his cake and eats it and i know this is a fault with my own liberalism and i i you know i go no it's very important that the doctor doesn't kill things but he does have unit to blow things up if things do need blowing up he does have unit to machine gun uh you know i don't mind the brigadier machine gunning the second ogron because it stops the doctor doing it and and actually that's and i'm aware that doctor who isn't necessarily the liberal show i see it as because i know people who see it as the complete opposite of the doctor being somebody who identifies what is evil and fights against it uh and 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 i'm aware my liberalism is is paradoxical and flawed and sometimes contradictory but i have to see it i think we create the things we love in our own image and and, and for me as somebody that is i'm not a violent person i i uh i'm a bit of an old liberal um but i also have to acknowledge and i think genuine genuine liberals do a lot of liberals today don't is acknowledge that uh, you know there are fundamental flaws or contradictions in our in our world view uh and i i have to you know i have to accept that i i don't like it when the doctor kills people although uh, you know in doctor who adventures the bad guys get killed all the time even if it's once removed from the direct actions of the doctor but to see him just blatantly disintegrate some something i i find very uncomfortable and doesn't fit in with with uh, with my world view of doctor who which means that that bit probably won't be among the things that i choose of my favorite things i ran out of time to talk about nick hyam the bbc arts correspondent and john Pertwee's death on the news so i will open with that thought i'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger i'm going to open with that thought at the beginning of episode three because now what i have to do is i have to see if i have chosen a favorite thing that is the set is the favorite thing that um uh chris has chosen and i'm going to choose the don't tell it to the marines just because i i thought it was the doctor being clever i thought it was it was a way that the audience were ahead of the 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 baleful force that the 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 again they're not bad guys but the people holding the doctor prisoner kept keeps him one step ahead of those other guys which makes us as the audience complicit and that's quite exciting uh but also it's quite educational because it's obviously a thing but it also works without you knowing what that thing is uh, and i'm sure i probably would have asked my mum or something like that so uh, you know and if that adds to the some total of, of knowledge about the way we express ourselves or idiomatic language or metaphors or whatever i think that is all good so uh tell it to the marines uh chris boyle because the soldiers won't have chosen the same things as what you have or something my favorite part of episode two is a scene um, the Doctor and Joe are dragged into the cellar by the keyboard player from the Small Faces and his mates and uh, the light goes off. And when the light is switched back on again, the framing of the shot is beautiful and the sound design as the lines, what do we do now, tie them up, echo in the darkness, is excellently subtle. Superb little scene. Oh, well I... That's it, yeah. 
I think I talked all the way through that. Sorry about that. That's going to happen. Sometimes the best bits I'm going to have chatted all the way through. But because this is an audio podcast, if I don't say anything, you don't hear anything apart from, you know, the episode on in the background. Um, So Chris and I did not choose the same thing, but I like his choice, uh, even though I didn't fully assimilate it myself. Anyway, uh, that is the end of episode two of Day of the Daleks. As I say, I'm tantalising you with... I'm probably going to have a rant about the way that John Pertwee's death was reported on the BBC News. Um, But for now, um, uh, that will involve a little bit of time travel. So as uh, we can't be doing that, I'm just going to say cheerio. Um, I was was trying to do a clever tie-in with the time travel theme of the story and, 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 and I managed not to so i've just spouted a little bit of nonsense hey it's at least it proves it's live um some sort of clever segue and some apt bon mot on which to end proceedings thank you very much goodbye well welcome it's episode three of day of the daleks i left you on a cliffhanger last time but when i do the reprise from the cliffhanger Uh, There's not going to be a musical sting. Uh, (laughs) But uh, there is, however, hopefully now, the opportunity for you to press play, which you will do on Day of the Daleks, Episode 3, in 3, 2, 1, now. So, um, the eagle-eared amongst you... uh, will notice that I got carried away talking about all sorts of things because the clip of the Doctor and the Ogron at the end of, towards the end of episode two was the one that they used on the BBC News to report John Pertwee's death. And the BBC arts correspondent, Nick Hyam, said uh, something along the lines of, uh, the sets may have wobbled and the acting may not have been up to much, but for many children, John Pertwee was Doctor Who. You think, that is such a snide attitude to take. I've never understood people who work in sort of arts journalism uh, who who speak about television as though it's something that they've just trodden in. Um, if, if you don't like it, don't uh, don't take the shilling writing about it. There are so many brilliant people um, uh, and there's so many, especially today, in sort of fandom and on social media. I was looking at something written by John Williams, who's a, who's, he's a, he's a friend of mine, but I... I Came into contact with him because of Tacky on TV, which is the podcast he did. But he's a brilliantly knowledgeable fellow about television. And he's a really good writer. And he's probably a better writer and knows more about TV than half of the people, most of the people out there who write about television. Um, uh, And I find it really odd that the sort of television critic's job is often given to somebody that used to do the motoring column or, you know. So you, you can get the job of being, you know, a broadsheet paper's newspaper uh, 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 television critic without having seen I Claudius or Edge of Darkness you wouldn't you wouldn't become the food columnist if you didn't know what an aubergine was um, so anyway Nick yeah Nick Hyam yeah, said that about uh, 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 you know Doctor Who and John Pertwee and, and, and it was it was during the wilderness years when it was it was lazy and shorthand to sort of go yeah Doctor Who is a bit naff but to do that when you're sort of paying tribute to a much loved uh, artist who has just died, who entertained generations of children in a programme that has uh, made a huge impact and created cultural iconography, I think um, d- deserves a bit of a kick up the backside myself. Uh, so 
I just wanted to get that off my chest. Uh, hopefully that wouldn't happen now because Doctor Who is, is a bit more fashionable. Scott Fredericks, I haven't mentioned yet. The beautiful Scott Fredericks, uh, who returns to Doctor Who in Image of the Fendal. Uh, he's got he's got a great sort of he's got a great face for this sort of part, but also he's uh, in in Blake Seven. Uh, he's uh, a character called Carnell. Um, I'm not a massive Blake Seven fan, but I don't I mean I like it, but I don't know much about I don't know much about it <laughs> except I know some of the people who are guest stars and yeah I can name all of the actors. Okay, um, yeah I like yeah Blake Seven. Um, He's a character in an episode called Weapon, I think. Is it the one with, with John Bennett? That he's this sort of logic chess champion guy who who predicts uh, he predicts what people will do, and uh, Serverland hires him, and he he rather uh, charmingly he realizes that she's going to kill him at the end, so he 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 preempts that, and he and he and he scoots off, and I think she's quite turned on by that, and. He's he's kind of there is a bit of an undercurrent to them, uh, uh, and that's a great sort of one episode character, um, uh, and he and he's and he's very good in Image of the Fendal as Max Style, the uh, the uh, the inscrutable German bad guy. So um, yes, and I they have escaped. Yeah, that's how we talk now. Um, I wonder if there was a take with it. They have escaped, my lord. Uh, <laughs> By Jingo. Um, oh, yeah, and the, this is where the Doctor gets a look at the dystopian future. There's a lot of Ogrons, aren't there? You forget, because I always think there's only Rick Lester. <laughs> um, they are quite... Uh, there's quite a number of them, and uh, this location stuff um, in the desolate Earth future... Um, But I, yeah, I, Scott Fredericks, I did meet briefly at the, when they showed the, the special edition of this, um, uh, at somewhere in the South, no, not the South Bank, somewhere, it doesn't matter. You can't go, you can't go there now. It was in the past. Um, uh, and I had a, a brief chat with him and he knew who Rob Shearman was, which was rather fun. And he'd been a bit poorly, so he wasn't, he wasn't quite as sort of robust as he, as, as, and he wasn't as young. Uh, as I imagined, and he's, he died a couple of years ago. Um, and I meant to ask him for his autograph, and I didn't because cause I just didn't. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. I was lucky to meet him, but my fan little completion niggle goes, you had the opportunity to get the autograph of an actor you liked, and you didn't. I didn't. Reader, I didn't. Uh, see, this is that the, 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 the per sense of scale and perspective is different here. Suddenly... Aubrey Wood seems sort of cramped and subservient, even because he's having to stoop slightly, even though the Daleks are shorter than him. But they're sort of like malevolent little mites um, flanking him. You know, it's good. Yeah. What it does with scale, this story and the vision mixing is interesting. And, and I know that Steve Bruster was keen to get Mike Catherwood, the vision mixer on the extras. And I think he's on the commentary and I think they do a little documentary, don't they, as well? because it's a story where the vision mixing is quite important. And I like the fact that the DVD does that, you know, that uh, you, you can examine different areas of Doctor Who production, um, uh, especially if there's a story where it's particularly appropriate to talk about those things. Um, oh, yes, I, yes, I've gotten those little bits on the on the screen filming the Doctor. Um 
and I, I think this is this, of course, talking of the DVD, this is where I make the erstwhile mistake. I, I, I nipped over to Birmingham to do something and I, 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 and I did these voiceovers for Steve. And, um, and there's a line that refers to your erstwhile producer, which we'd used in the sense of how Doctor Who fans have used it, which is to mean sort of dogged and doughty. And it doesn't mean that at all. It's got the word while in it. It means former. But because we as Doctor Who fans, I think the theory is, I hadn't come up with this, Gary Gillett did, I think, um, is that we we say, we think erstwhile means, means doughty and loyal because there was a picture of Sergeant Benton that referred to him as the erstwhile Sergeant Benton. But that meant that he used to be Sergeant Benton, but since Robot was Warrant Officer Benton. So he was a former sergeant, an erstwhile. Again, it's got the word while in it, uh, <laughs> which doughty which and dogged does not. Um, and anyway, so we have used erstwhile to mean that, loyal, whatever, doughty, dogged. Um, and I thought it was a very Doctor Who thing and it was a mistake and it's in the script and I read it out. I was tired and I was rushing from one thing to another, but neither of those things are enough mitigation. I have to say I was party to a mistake. Um, and as somebody with an English degree, it's quite an embarrassing one, but I have to own it, even though I didn't write the script. So I'm sort of owning it whilst going, but I didn't write the script, but I did say it out loud. Um, uh, but I've since... I've since had erstwhile used to me in that context, uh, in the environs of the BBC, used in a script by somebody that has never seen Doctor Who. So isn't that funny that that mistake has replicated itself or rippled out? Can't all have rippled out from Doctor Who magazine, can it? And somehow entered the life of that person in the BBC who was talking, who, who, who used in a script, said it's your erstwhile agent here, but it was meaning your hardworking agent and and in fact i went uh, i think that's a very creepy look the uh, the uh, shiny space lady gives um who is paid by deborah brayshaw who um for years was an actress that we i didn't know where she was and couldn't find but i, I did a podcast interview with somebody recently he said oh that's my friend's mum so i sent out a sort of a plea going oh tell us to get in touch i'd love to interview her but it's it's the, the, the call into the wild, I don't know if it was passed on, uh, but she hasn't bitten. Um, I'm always on the lookout to catch an actor we haven't spoken to before. One of the rare examples of smoking in Doctor Who, um, which as a kid I thought was terribly grown up. I loved it when people had a fag in Doctor Who because it enabled me to tell my friends who thought Doctor Who was a children's programme, no, they have smoking and everything. It's all grown up. Um, and I do quite like it as a, as a touch. It's like the rare occasions there's blood Blood and smoking, that's 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 what grown-ups do. Um, and Valentine Palmer here playing Monia. Now, in the book, he's Moni. In this, he's Monia. In the closing credits of the BBC Video Omnibus Edition, he becomes, because I guess Valentine is, is not a name, perhaps the credits person associated with uh, maleness, maybe, uh, he's credited as Monica. Um, that guard that we briefly saw there was an actor of who did a lot, George Raystrick. Um, it's his only Doctor Who. Uh, he had a great career as a character actor, worked for the RSC, played played uh, sort of 
the, the clownish parts in, uh, in in various Shakespeare's for the RSC and died, if not on stage, backstage. He was working in a play with Bernard Cribbins. And I remember being very cross because he was in a an episode of a thing called The Vet a couple of, that month, but after his death had been announced. And he was a sort of guest lead. He, had, he did quite a lot in it. And there wasn't a little... Because they used to do that all the time. If somebody had died before the, their episode of something was shown, they'd go, and since that programme was made, we regret to say that the actor George Raystrick has died. And they didn't do that. And I was really cross. And they certainly wouldn't do that today. For, for, for somebody who's not a household name. But they used to do it all the time. Remember, they did it for Noel Dyson on A Heartbeat. They did it for Harold Innocent on The the, the Paradise of Death. Um, remember them doing it for Dino Shafiq on, I think, a repeat of It Ain't Our Fop Mum. And I used to like it when that happened. It gave you a sort of connection, and it, it, it made you feel that, you know, the people making things were sort of special, because they are, because they come into your homes. Um, and I think an acknowledgement of that is nice, which probably explains why my facebook feed is just full of going i have comedian friends who go who, who i know have said to other comedians what most comedians put jokes up on their facebook and twitter toby's toby just seems to go that actor from that thing has died and i it, it and i i yeah i um I, I i do behave like i'm in some sort of morbid dressing room <laughs> sort of yeah, grease paint obituaries uh, he's, oh, he's brilliant, Aubrey Woods. I really like him. Um, but yeah, George Raystrick. Well, yeah, was in a was in a show with Bernard Cribbins. I, I recall. Um, oh, he's really roughed up actually in this Doctor. It's quite uh, the, the it, you know we're we're pre Holmes and Hinchcliffe where things are really sadistic. But actually, this does has elements of this, particularly Andrew. Car here is um I don't think he gets a name, is he? He's Chief Guard or something. Um I'm sure he gets a name in the book. And he's not just some random guard. He's he's the guy that takes over, isn't he, from the from the con from the control no, he's the guy that takes over from the controller in this. But the guy that takes over from the controller in the book has a name. I can't remember. Um but anyway, he's Chief Guard. And uh, but he's making the most of it. He's he's doing some good Good acting with his whip there, and and you Pertwee looks really pissed off. It's it's uh, you know for this this point in the show's history, this is quite sort of nails, and and Pertwee's well well up for it. He's you know he's not he's not having it with this sadist, and Andrew Carr does a does a nice job. Um, I heard quite a sad story about him that I I, I, I probably can't can't say because it's it's not in the public domain but um yeah he and this is peter hill and i i and i seem to recall and george Raystrick all died within a i say a short time of each other it was probably five years or so early 90s i think these two died and i think george Raystrick must have been around that time as well so it seemed to me that every, every episode three of day of the daleks was was sort of gradually losing people um We'll be outside if you need us. He's, he's, yeah, this is he's more than just a guard. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's investing it with a lot of character. Yeah, Peter Hill, I think, had been a, a regular in Crossroads, hadn't he? And, and I think had been, I'm sure I read somewhere he'd asked to be killed off so that he wouldn't be tempted to go back because, you know, uh, 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 you know, and 
the security of a regular part in something is very tempting for an actor. So if you if you if you stop yourself from from having access to something, it, it forces you to seek other opportunities and perhaps have more variety. I think that would be suicide now um, because there's so little being made. But in those days, you know, you took your chances and you went, well, I'd get an episode of this drama that week and that sitcom the next week, then a bit of theatre. But, but so much less is being made now. Um, and uh, I think he died on Christmas Day. Peter Hill, did he? That. That's that's. I think he did. That's. I'm I'm not swearing to that, but uh, I, I, I. That's something that's, that's, lurking in the back of my head. Um, uh, but yeah, I remember. I remember reading about it in the. I think in the stage or in Doc Two magazine. Um, but it, yes, it seemed to be that the Day of the Daleks went through a phase of his. Oh, I love, I love that little moment between them, where, you know, the manager just goes, "Don't trust him," and the Doctor clocks it again. That little, that a bit like the "Don't turn it to the Marine" things, where you're slightly just ahead and you feel complicit in, uh, in in proceedings from the goodies point of view, which always gives you a bit of hope. Uh, but this is this is nice because he's only I mean he's only in this episode the manager isn't he but he gets a, a total story you know he he comes in he has the bit with the doctor but he, then he has that clash with the guard and then he has this bit with the and now of course he's got this bit with the controller but we know that he's a good guy um, but we also know that he's a good guy in a very tenuous position. Uh, and your family and that speaks volumes and oh and and you really feel for him and the you know the camera's trusting the actors by going really close in on both of them and they both totally deliver the sort of inscrutable polite threat from Aubrey Woods who we also sort of know is a well you know is a good guy really he's doing all his stuff Peter oh, that that sort of trying to hold it together but shaking that peter hill's doing there is great uh, it's lovely and he waits until you know the, the controller's gone and I, I i don't know why his secret radio to the rebels just happens to be in the doctor's cell but uh I, i'll take it because uh well i'll take it because we need that bit of information and uh oh the, but the poor old manager i mean he's uh He's about to get got, isn't he? And that's that's it. I mean, what does he get? Four or five minutes of screen time? But he's a totally rounded character in terms of what he contributes to the story. He's more than just Im imparting a bit of information. Um, uh, you know, he gets a little... You'd call it an arc nowadays, but he gets a, he gets a progression and a journey, and it's rather sad. Um, I've missed the bit, haven't I? Where he said, "Now I've told you the year." Uh, I was looking for it last episode, but I think, I think a little bit too late. Uh, I do like Joe's costume in this, um, and Pertwee can carry it off, can't he? He's so. I do understand Chris's point about the fact that sometimes when 
the doctor thinks he's being clever he's actually being a bit of an ass um but but you know how sometimes you let rogues get away with things that 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 somebody like me wouldn't get away with because a charming rogue you sort of go no i'll take that from you because you're a charming rogue i know i'm not a charming rogue i think it's the same with pert we sometimes where you go oh you're a pretentious git because it's Pertwee, because of how he looks, because of how he holds himself, uh, and 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 but they like being happy and prosperous. That's great. That's killer stuff from the Doctor. I you sort of take it. I I think. I I think he inhabits the role of the Doctor so well, um, and and does things that, if they were said by other people, you wouldn't like them, and yet. Yet somehow he gets away with it. He wears things that I would love to be able to wear what John Pertwee wears and not look like a tool. But I would look like a tool. I'm also I'm not elegant like him. He's very he holds himself very well. But I would look like an absolute Burke in that. He looks great. Um, and what an interesting piece of casting he was because he was the you know he was the radio comic the funny voice man and he and he you know he rises to the occasion with this dramatic stuff like with that guard and this bit here he's you know he's not accepting it from the controller at all the but the controller's trying to maintain this sort of veneer of civility and the doctor's not having it good for you doctor and joe's been completely taken in <laughs> poor old joe Yep, superior. They have a, a quizzling. They, they, they use the word quizzling in this, don't they? Which was a really good word to learn early. I remember I was quite young when I, I, I learned it. Did I learn it from this? I don't know if I did. I think I learned it at junior school, but it was a it was a Q word, and words beginning with Q were few and far between. Oh, of course, this is five. It's five years since Evil of the Daleks. Um which was the last time oh and they've done a trailer for this haven't they which i think is lost um and in fact i know it's lost because i've not seen it it's not on the dvd uh, of the daleks on london landmarks and i think was that robert jewell the original you know one of the original dalek operators i think that was one of his that was his last doctor who booking um ah now i remember this in the book because she hits him on the top of the head and he goes, I, I, I think we had an urban myth in our household that the that the ogrons were only vulnerable at the top of their head rather than actually if you hit somebody near where their brain is, it's going to knock them out. But I think it was a bit like that was like the Sontaran's probic vent. The ogrons um, were susceptible only if you hit them on the top of the head. I don't know if that was because that was how it was explained in the book or or just the picture showed it like that. I don't know. I can't remember. Um but like the like the like, like the mouth moustache, it was a thing that was my assumed knowledge and history of of the Ogrons that actually uh, just wasn't true. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is the this is the slowest. Now they are ah, okay. The leap, the Ogron who leapt, that was brilliant. But then they really aren't. They really aren't in a hurry to 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 chase the. Uh, slightly speeded up i think uh tricycle but you know that's that's funky you get a a, a new piece of equipment and job goes oh I'd, i could go on that um 
and that and that's quite a, that's quite a nifty that's quite a nifty sequence. I, I'd remembered that being worse than that. I'd remembered the ogrons moving far slower, and that's a brilliant shot. I love that the ogrons in vast numbers on location look terrific. Um, all right, Monica. Uh, Monica is given the incorrect Monica in the closing titles. Um, a Valentine Palmer has written a book about the Titanic because his great great uncle was Lightoller, who's the Kenneth Moore guy in uh, in Night to Remember, who was you know the the highest officer to survive. Uh, and I th and I think it's a bit conspiracy theory. And I've interviewed Valentine Palmer, but we didn't talk about that. Um, and he, he, he sought me out for my Who's Round podcast, bless him. I love this. I love this, that the uh, you think, oh, they're just using the, the titles as a bit of background, which is nifty. You know, that's a nice, in, in the same way that the signal howl round of the Hartnell titles is sometimes used on Dalek monitors. So that's quite nice. But actually, that's the, I think that's the only time in the classic era, well, certainly in the colour era of, of these sorts of single caption closing credits where the you know an actor's name appears over the action because normally it cuts to the title sequence and the names it doesn't doesn't sort of fade fade over senior guard not chief guard andrew carr um so yeah actually do the doctor's name appearing on the on the screen like that is rare and, and it does that because it's fading into because it's doing that thing like it does with the faces of the titles you know join in with the thing on the monitor but there's a precedent for that because darling monitors have used doctor who title sequences before it's 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 like they, their spare time they watch doctor who to wind themselves up and have and have, and have nicked the uh, uh have, have nicked the graphic design uh, to wind themselves up even more as their screensaver let's use the title sequence as our screensaver oh but those these darlings don't talk let's use the title so yeah okay um okay so Oh, that's interesting because I would have, I would have said the the trike chase was was sort of in the middle of the episode. It comes really close to the end, doesn't it? Um, uh, and and I know the end of episode four will come as a bit of a surprise as well. Um, so it, it feels to me like this is a dense story that's rather packed. Um, the, you know, the end comes as a surprise every time, uh, or maybe it's just because I'm chuntering on <laughs> anyway what's my favorite thing about that episode i think it's i think it's it can't be the fact that is it the fact that john pertwee's name appears at the end and that the titles the titles blend with the picture oh yeah i'm never going to get a chance to do that again because that's the only time that that happens i know the you know the credits appear in the 60s the credits appear over the picture and go up but that's like i think that's slightly different but the title sequence because there's no title sequence in the closing of the 60s episodes i like that and it and it and it and it and it sort of ties in with the whole visual inventiveness and the using monitors to blend from one scene to another and this is like the the you know the ultimate iteration of that is that the the, the monitor actually blends into the closing title sequence so yeah i think that's a legitimate it's not just that moment it's that it's that sort of visual motif um that 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 keeps reoccurring and yeah culminates in leading us into the closing titles for episode three i bet chris hasn't chosen that <laughs> he might have done uh, but let's see chris has chosen for episode three 
For episode three, um, I was a little bit spoiled for choice, I think. There were a number of things that I could have chosen as my favourite over this episode. Uh, but I've gone with the motorised tricycle chase. It's possibly <laughs> the shortest chase sequence in history. But it's absolutely amazing. Um, Pertwee covers about three square feet of ground uh, when he's being chased <laughs> on this tricycle. Uh, and then he's eventually captured. And the Daleks reveal that he really is the Doctor. There's some stills of Troughton and Hartnell get projected on a screen behind him. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I thought the tricycle chase was better than I'd remembered. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah I'd remembered it being awful and uh, and it's not. But apart from the couple of bits you can see where the Ogrons sort of saunter very slowly. Um, uh, come back, my liege. Um, but I'm happy with my choice as well. Okay, uh, that was the end of episode three. I wonder if there's a way that I can make the titles. The title sequence blend in with the I'm editing this on iMovie. I've got no idea. <laughs> it might make a right pig's ear of it. But just imagine that I'm blending the title sequence in with the pictures and on the podcast, just by. Um, <laughs> but uh, I will speak to you for Day of the Daleks, episode four. Thanks for joining me for episode three. Ta ta. I think you'll find. 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 Right, yeah, I'd had a bit of confusion about Robert Jewell, one of the original Dalek operators, who I'm sure had had something to do, even though his last credit on Doctor Who is episode 10 of The War Games. Uh, and I was right. It wasn't the trailer. There was a trailer for Day of the Daleks. So he may have, but I don't think he was involved with that. That was filmed at lots of London landmarks. I don't know who the Daleks were for that. Um, but Robert Jewell was booked for a day at Ealing with John Pertwee uh, for some sort of trail that never actually happened. But it was it was part of the production of Day of the Daleks. So that was Robert Jewell, original Dalek operator's last involvement with Doctor Who. So that little thing hanging in the back of my mind was sort of correct. But course i like to put uh, some sort of clarification so that my twitter stream isn't filled with i think you'll find us i think i might do i think you'll find uh, as a badge <laughs> why not and just to clear up uh, andrew carr and peter hill died within a couple of years of each other uh, andrew carr died in 1992 peter hill in 1995 peter hill did not die on christmas day he died on the 29th of december so uh, i was close but anyway, I'm happy to clear that up uh, because I don't want to think I'll find I get corrected. So uh, there we are. And let's go back to the day of the Daleks. Episode four. Press play in three, two, one. Now. Um... Welcome back. It's the final episode of Day of the Daleks. Um, those of you who are watching these episodes in chronological order, which is how I advise that you do. Um, I mentioned my friend Mark Patterson, I think, in episode two, um, helping with uh, the tracing of Louis Marx, who wrote this story. Uh, then didn't hear from Mark, apart from obviously we're Facebook friends. So you sort of think, oh, I know that person. When did you last speak to them? <laughs> A million years ago. Um Mark dropped me a line. That's a great opening with the with the blur coming into focus. That's a glorious way to open the episode. Um, 
Uh, now I don't. Do they have the the zoo? No, they don't. Because if if they'd had the whole of the bit of the last episode, we'd have seen the beginning of the title sequence. So actually, the cliffhanger sting coming in, which is unusual, uh, is actually only in two uh, reprises. What? Yeah. So it's only a two episode thing. And as I said, I do like her. Uh, an unusual way of uh, doing the titles. That's why I love season seven and the ones on the ambassadors of death. I always like it if they, they mess about a bit with, with how the titles and cliffhangers and things like that are, are done. Uh, I don't mind sort of messing with the, with the format in that way. Uh, that's why the sixties is sometimes interesting and season seven. Anyway, um, Mark, my friend, uh, I heard from relatively recently, because uh, he'd got, and it was a video message from his sons. Uh, uh, I mean, Mark and I were mates at university, so the fact that he's got sons who are capable of walking and talking and doing things, and they sent me some questions about Doctor Who because they are Doctor Who fans. Um, uh, and I said my friend was called Mark Patterson, uh, and you may, if you're watching the video version of this, see the name Dylan Patterson in the credits because Dylan. Mark's son, um, having spoken to me, then uh, sought out my show, Mothsate, my Doctor Who scarf, and had a listen, and was so inspired that he did a little design for me with my name on it. And I said, "Well, actually, can we can we change that and 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 use it for the for the different iterations of these uh, these podcasts and video casts?" So the graphic design, the titles, the title card is done uh, thanks to a young man who was inspired by Doctor Who, whose dad put him in touch with me because he had some questions. Uh, uh, and so he then, you know, used what he does well, which is his artistic uh, skill, to, um, uh, to, you know, to, to, to express himself, as I did through comedy, uh, he's done through art. So I thought that was a very appropriate thing to do, was to, to use his graphic design. So hire him. He's very young. <laughs> but uh, what a lovely thing, eh? Um, I love the controller's journey, um, and and Aubrey Woods does it well because he's the he's the bad guy. But you and even though he's done some terrible things, threatening the manager and and um, uh, you know, sort of tricking Joe, you you still buy the fact that even though he's and again he's quite a theatrical baddie, he he actually there's a humanity there and he uh, and you think he's doing the right thing a quizzling uh and pertwee and and the the controller's position is understandable as far as he is concerned he is right uh although of course you know you know he convinces himself that he's right but he's the one who gets fruit and a nice chair and uh and and, and 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 you know and the nice clothes and the whatever it is that makes your face shiny that other people don't get so uh, you know there's, there's interesting dynamics there that he you know he he is decent we do like him we're supposed to sympathize with the journey that he takes but you know he took that journey after living a life of largesse and uh, uh and 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 threatening people below him and doubtless ordering the deaths and imprisonment of people but he's going, yeah, but I've got to survive, uh, you know, and uh, take my yoga lesson so I can sit like a controller. 
Um, and I, I use this story. I remember my, my uncle is, is uh, 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 my uncle's the, the uncle from London. And he's the sort of, you know, he was, he was once in a lift with Tom Baker. It was like, wow, that's amazing. And my uncle has always been a bit disparaging of Doctor Who until it came back. Uh, but, but, and, 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 but he's a real film buff, my uncle. Uh, and he's, he's edited stuff as well. He's, he's an editor. He's a film editor. He's, um, but we're not a showbiz family. He's my cool uncle. We're, we're from the countryside. We have muddy boots and drafts and, uh, you know, no, no conduit to show business. But my uncle is a bit of a maverick um, film editor. And, but, but he, but uh, you thought, thought he'd love Doctor Who, but, but no, he thought he'd think it's rubbish. And I always, but he, I remember saying, oh, good science fiction you should like the terminator that's a great film and i remember going ah yeah but the terminator stole an idea from doctor who so if you like the terminator you got like doctor who. oh this is um so scott fredericks obviously doesn't die uh on film very clearly because um you see him jump there and get blown up uh, oh and these extras get killed as well i think they've got names in the book are they are they mark jacob and zando I haven't read that book for 35 years. There's somewhere in the back of my head. And there's Boaz dead and what looks like lots of sort of bloody bandages. So he gets quite a horrible death. But obviously they got the film back and went, it's really not clear that that's Boaz and Scott Fredericks. So then you have a sudden cut to him halfway through that film sequence on videotape of him against a black drape going, look out and at, so that you know that the person that gets blown up uh, is is him. Uh, and... Uh, and there's a bit like that in a Blake Seven episode. Is it the second episode of Blake Seven with Brian Blessed? I think Pamela Salem also gets killed in a sudden awkward videotape cutaway in an otherwise filmic sequence because they'd not it had not been done clear enough. Um, and I think that's a, I think Tony Quanta gets a very unclear death in uh, in in Colony in Space because his death is on on film and if they didn't get the requisite close up or whatever. Um, but so they 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 went to make you know they went to make that scene clearer, um, but um, and I think in a special edition they they filmize that shot so it it fits in slightly better because film and videotape do jar. If you're made like us, my mother wouldn't have noticed the difference. She could never tell the difference between film and videotape. If she said, "Look, this is a different sort of grain to the stuff that's inside," she'd go, "I haven't got a clue what you're talking about." Um, but she doesn't get why Alan Partridge is funny because she finds it too awkward. Um, uh, we we Doctor Who fans or old telly fans, uh, yeah, we, I think sometimes we speak a visual language that others do not. And sometimes, you know, we see things as convincing where everybody else thinks things look awful. So, um, you know, sometimes it works to our advantage and sometimes not. Uh, and that meant I talked a lot through um, the scene with the controller where they say, you know, he would always, they would always have found somebody else. Which is very true, but and that doesn't let the controller off the hook. But it shows the controller being shown mercy, and also, but it also says to him, you know, you're not, you're not special, mate. Any, you know, anybody would have, you know, there was always going to be somebody that would sell people out. May as well have been you. Um, so it doesn't let him off the hook, but it does make him ultimately do the right thing, and I think that's really interesting, and that's a nice journey. I'm sure it's Mark. Jacob and Zando, because in the in the book, characters get more to do. In fact, Moni, Monia, he gets the he gets the opening of the book. Um, but yeah, so and it's quite good that to give extras 
as they are in here they're just you know they, they were in that sequence who just get killed but if you suddenly introduce characters and they've got names you go oh i'll get to the oh no mark jacob and zando have just because do they all get killed i think they do um but yeah they're uh you know it's it, when you've got a book if you can give you know if you could give even just a name to a, a a character that is otherwise just sort of you know visual fodder um he's got a he's got a chain around his neck he's got a medallion around his neck as uh well, you can't see if it's a medallion, but he's got a chain as uh, Monia, Valentine Palmer, um, who was who was I think something of a a, a, a big deal he, he, uh, as as an actor in the seventies. Uh, but he t he told me he he um, he got bored quite easily, so he did a bit of acting and he did quite well. And then he, he's he's very beautiful, isn't he? Um, and then, and then went and did something else. He's got a good face. Um, uh, but I had a nice time with him at a uh, when after he you know he offered his services to be interviewed. Um, he directed a film as well. Ah, now sure, it's had an episode off, hasn't he? Um, Jimmy Winston, um, and he's going to go and do that great Doctor Who thing of uh, uh, sacrificing yourself. So he's essentially done what? Well, they've all essentially done what. Um, the Michael Bean character does in the Terminator, and but I think there's an Outer Limits episode as well, isn't there? So it's not an unusual science fiction trope, but it was enough for me to claim that Doctor Who was just as good as the films my uncle liked. Because what my uncle liked about the films was that they were films, and they are filmic, uh, uh, and and films can do things that you can't do in a television studio. But I wasn't having that as a as a furious youngster who wanted everybody to like Doctor Who and was angry if people didn't like Doctor Who. But I think now we we've passed through that embarrassment phase with with old television or perhaps I just don't care what other people think. But I'm less conscious of the sort of boring oh the sets wobbled or or oh, it's flat, you know, that that is trotted out again, often, as I alluded to last episode, by people that are paid for a living to know and write about television. Um, anyway, anyway. We are here to, well, I am accentuating the positive. I'm just being negative about the people who don't accentuate the positive. And that's therefore a negative about a negative, which in itself is a positive. Uh, like a cobweb. Um, this, it, yes, the lighting in this, uh, this cellar I've mentioned before, and it really does work. Um, and yes, yes, suicide, uh, self-sacrifice is quite a, a a thing that runs through um, Doctor. It's a it's an act of bravery, isn't it, to to give your life to save others. And have they done the? Oh, this is so. This is where they do the reveal, isn't it? Where and what a great twist is that? You've got these soldiers from the future who've come to come to kill. The, they've that they're. they're Terminators, basically, they've come, they've come to they've come to do a, a a benign version of what the Terminator does in the Terminator. They've come to kill what they think is a bad guy in order to stop the bad future happening. Uh, uh, and uh, whereas the Terminator travels back to kill Sarah Connor. Um, to ensure that the baddies prosper so the good is that they're the good is sure but they've just realized that they are 
the architects of their own destruction. And at least he, you know, he has the courtesy to call it, a, what does he call it, a temporal paradox? A temporal paradox, which just says, so we can do that. Oh, and this has, of course, got the, the, the famous story about the Blinovich limitation effect, hasn't it? Uh, saying, saying that, you, you know, you, you, you can't do something again. Why not? Because of the limitation limitation effect what's that oh no uh, i've been interrupted before i have to give the explanation uh which i think barry Letts or terence sticks used as a kind of uh example of how you could be cheeky but you would still raise the specter of why time travel didn't let you do things you know more over and over and over again which actually in the timey-wimey era of the show you could i i think that causes problems for storytelling. Um, I, I think you, you, you can't get too clever with what Doctor Who does with time travel because then you can use it to conveniently get you out of trouble. Whereas this, the whole point of the story is that, um, you know, is the, is, the, is the paradox, which is a nice big shocker, but they don't, they can't solve it by keep going to try and go back and change it and change it and change it until they get what they want, which I think is dramatically a bit, you know a bit feeble um so i think i think you're allowed it in this because that 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 paradox is allowed to be the sort of plot plot twist but they then don't, don't get sort of consumed by the whole time travel thing and make it um you know make time travel the method with which they solve the time travel paradox apart from just stopping the act um but the doctor uses that through you know persuading sure and uh the human interaction and, and you know they have to get back um via the controller so it's more about the people and the dynamics which is which is more interesting than sort of silly time travel games in a way um so i think they i, I think they pitch the time travel right because doctor Who doesn't do time travel that often does it? It, it time travel gets you to the story and it gets you away from the story but then you can't ask too many questions about it uh and, and i i think you 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 danger your you endanger your credibility because the layman, the person on the street, has always said, you know, when you say about Doctor Who, well, why don't they just travel back in time and stop that happening uh, when something goes wrong? You go, well, you can't. And in Doctor Who at this point, you generally can't. Um, uh, I, 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 yeah, this is this is the natural conclusion uh, of, of the, the controller's journey. Um, and Aubrey Woods does it really well and it is an interesting performance because he does do all that theatrical stuff but there is he's not like the sort of uh, uh, you know waxy Dalek ladies is that he, he, he there is a hu humanity to him there that is concurrent with this rather avant-garde um, approach to physicality and, and vocal delivery but it works and it's actually quite touching in places, uh, even though he's got a shiny silver face. Um, and senior guard gets a yeah gets a bit of a, a a moment where he gets you know gets to do slightly more than guards tend to do in Doctor Who. He gets a bit of a a, a duplicitous character arc, um, where his you know sadism and his enjoyment of what he does kind of pays off it's a nice it's a nice little unpleasant arc although of course by you know within five or ten minutes 
he will never have existed to be such a beast. Um, but that's the yeah. Well done, well done. It's a you 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 get your parting shot controller, uh, and yeah, Andrew Carr, who I think was also an artist, um, uh, gets gets a nice little bit in that in that good costume, uh, and yeah, I think he gets a nice. You know, in this world, it's quite a... Although, you know, we know this world gets... Look how far he goes! Look how far he exits because of the clever depth of field that we've got because of the way that the, the sets are positioned. Alex McIntosh at Orderly House. Alex McIntosh. I love the fact that he gets a, a caption because this is what we're seeing is also the news report. But Alex McIntosh was a news reporter. So he is one of that rare uh, bevy of people playing themselves, although he's not credited as himself, Alex McIntosh. He's credited as TV presenter, but he was a TV presenter. So that's a nice, uh, that's a nice bit of, uh, I'm going to say verisimilitude. So uh, if you're playing the verisimilitude drinking game. Uh, oh, and of course, do we see Miss, do we see Miss Padgett? Because Deb Jean McFarlane, who plays Miss Paget, is oh, and that's that, that extra that we just saw opening the door is is Glenn Witter, who was in on the buses, um, but he's just a, he's he's just an extra in, in in this, and he I think he'd been one of the Egyptian slaves in uh, in uh, Dalek's Master Plan, um, but this in, this person holding the briefcase, who's an extra called Desmond Verini, um, should be Jean McFarlane, uh, Miss Paget, who we saw in episode one. Uh, who I don't know an awful lot about, but I, I did find something about her. As a, I think she was a model. She was quite tall back in the day. But I, th I think she's no longer with us. Um, but she fell ill during this, so couldn't make the, 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 the recording for this episode. So although she's credited, and I think she does appear on film, uh, she, she doesn't take her place in the studio. So Miss, Miss Paget uh, vanishes, uh, even though she's credited well, this was a, that's an iconic. Uh, there's, there's, those, there's photos of the Daleks and the Ogron coming out of the tunnel. It's a really nicely chosen piece of location, that, actually, because you can disappear into the inky blackness on film and then reappear on videotape without too much of a, 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 a jar. And, uh, and that's quite good because we're suggesting quite a lot of Daleks and Ogrons coming here. And that, that sort of works. It works less well in the final shootout when, when you know, because one of the Daleks is a different colour, it's kind of obvious there are three Daleks. Um, everybody does hold their hands quite high aloft when they get uh, killed by the Daleks uh, in this story and in sort of weird slow motion. Um, oh, doesn't the Brigadier yell at Styles here, which I rather like. Um, I like it when the Brigadier sort of puts his foot down but remains terribly polite. And doesn't he go, get out of this house, sir, you twat <laughs> he does that in a bit i think um um yes and i'm sure there's a bit in the book where shura who's young and and and, and in real pain and stuff i think doesn't he hug the bomb and, and it says it uh, and shura shura had a feeling of oh not satisfaction but comfort he's comforted that's the that's the shot of john levine that's that i think is a lovely shot of him there's a photo of him with him and the radio doing that um, and it's a really good pickup engine. Now be quiet, sir. I love the, the Nicholas Courtney pitches everything brilliantly. Um, he's such a charming actor. Um, and 
So Desmond Verini must have phoned home and gone, I've got a line! Gene McFarlane's ill, they've, they've given me a line! Uh, he must have been delighted. Um, and, and this is always talked of, this, this climax as being slightly disappointing because it's obvious that there are three Daleks. But at the moment, as I'm watching it, lots of soldiers, explosions. This is what I want from the unit era. And, and I remember this is done very well in the special edition that was a, a passion project for Steve Broster and, uh, uh, and he really went to town on it. And, uh, uh, and, I, and I think it's a, it's, a, it's a really good example of what you can do with the DVD range, although I am watching the episodes as broadcast. And actually, this is great. There's loads of, loads of ogles. There's Jean McFarlane. She is tall, isn't she? Um, uh, so, she, so she, yeah, she's still credited and still in the episode. But uh, she, sh she should have been indoors as well. But of course, that was done at a completely different time. I think they got into trouble from the car company because they put decals on the, on the cars and it, it damaged the cars. Um, this battle is not... I do think the gold Dalek doesn't help, but I don't think it's as limited as, as perhaps I was expecting. But I have charged myself with being positive and I was sort of in mind to anticipate the things that didn't quite work and I think that worked all okay. Yeah, so he's doing it. I mean, it is an act of self-sacrifice, but actually he's wiped out the future that he comes from anyway. But I still think it's brave. Um, yeah, and, and I'm sure he hugs the bomb in the book. I remember that being quite... You know, it was quite strange. Well, no, it worked for me that. It was interesting that I understood that you could be doing a terrible thing and throwing your life away, but it, it suddenly everything suddenly made sense to him. I don't think I've imagined this. But as I say, it's at least 35 years since I read that book, I should think. The Target books were a great part of your development of, a, of, of, of being a Doctor Who fan if you're from my generation. Um, yeah... You tell him, and hats off to Jimmy Winston and uh, uh, R.I.P. Sir. Um, and of course, this this episode ends quite abruptly because you're supposed to actually then go back to Unit HQ and have the have the scene that we had in episode one. But instead, you have this this sort of. I mean, it's it's not it's not downbeat. It's not downbeat, is it? But it's it's sort of quite on the nose, and I and 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 you know the the fact that the Doctor Who universe was you know on the verge of World War Three or whatever, I I think is quite it's quite hard stuff when you're a kid, and especially you know with the iconography of World War Two and and dramas and comic strips and and films about World War Two were still pretty prevalent, although they'd happened before my lifetime. You know, my there my mother was born during the Second World War, but you know, grandparents fought in it. It was terrible times, and the idea that there could be another one was was absolutely terrifying, and you know, but but not entirely out of the question. So to 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 sort of dangle not dangle the carrot because that suggests we'd want it but the the shadow of that the sword of the, the damocles hanging uh uh was was you know felt grown up and felt and felt pretty scary so i you know i think the idea of ending on that sort of warning of go, you know going yeah we've we've seen what happens if you don't do it and and the idea that that you know that politician's got to got to get it right otherwise you know that terrible dystopian future will happen 
uh you know flies in the face of that idea we have about the coziness of the unit family and the unit era which i think we would feel that sort of coziness if we had the the sort of witty return to to the scene from from episode 1 although it does mean that scene from episode 1 is is slightly redundant and doesn't make quite make sense without the payoff it is in the book read the book go read the book but before that we need to see what chris boyle has liked about episode 4 and overall and so what am i going to go for for episode 4 and for overall well i think overall because i haven't mentioned it yet is is you know that 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 bit where where, where andrew Carr, the chief guard walks off right into the distance there's loads of shots like that where because of the nature of the set our perspective is played with um so it's more than the set design it's the depth of it's the depth of the shot the depth of field the the, the, the proportions of the doors to the people, the way that people are framed within doors or, or, go, or disappear right into the back of set. I think that, and we could even call it art direction, could we? No, I don't know. Um, whatever that is, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going for. Is that an overall thing? Or is that... Uh, yeah, I think, that's a, I, think that's a, I think that's an overall thing. Uh, and also well maybe maybe what what i've just talked about towards the end there the fact that earth is on the verge of world war three i think i think that's a riposte to the oft mooted idea that the poetry era is is a little cozy that's very edgy and obviously done you know in in the manner of uh, of of a children's a child friendly television program that still felt pre- that felt pretty gutsy to me and felt um uh, uh, is that's why the i didn't even talk much about the dalek voices peter messaline uh who was canadian i don't know much about oliver gilbert but peter messaline only died a couple of years ago my friend mike in canada got me his autograph but i still haven't received it so it's somewhere somewhere there um anyway anyway it's the enemies it's the too many syllables that doesn't quite work anyway that doesn't matter we are accentuating the positive um so world war three and the 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 proportion and depth of the the sets and the shooting of them they're my two things my episode four thing and my bonus thing What has my friend Chris chosen? Episode four of Day of the Daleks, and I've gone with the revelation that the uh, gorillas were the cause of the future that they were trying to prevent all along. Yeah. yeah, Um, I just think it was incredibly kind of Moffat era. It's so timey wimey, and it's a a bit of a rug pull that even Christopher Nolan will be proud of. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, that's my. uh, that's my, my favourite thing about episode four. And the bonus thing? For my uh, bonus choice, uh, I've gone with the uh, with the Ogrons. Um, they are basically an army of Bernard Breslaws crossed with Oddbod from Carry On Screaming with a tiny sprinkling of Planet of the Apes. Um, has there ever been a slower-moving armed force 
in the uh, in the universe. They basically fire their guns while stood stock still and just taking all fire. They are incredible. Um, so my bonus choice um, is the Ogrons. Uh I, I can't believe I didn't choose the Ogrons. Um, I'm still I'm still happy with the things I chose. I don't think I because I nearly chose Alex McIntosh and the verisimilitude that he provided. So I'm glad I pulled back and I think went for something more substantial and interesting. Um, I could have chosen either of Chris's things and I didn't. Uh, the Ogrons I feel particularly uh, missed out there because they are a terrific design and they look great. The costumes, Mary Husband's costumes, I think are very very good. Um, Anyway, so I could have chosen the... Anyway, really enjoyed that. Um, uh, yeah, when I said something about um, using time travel being feeble, I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that Stephen Moffat's use of time travel is, is feeble storytelling. Uh, I put that very badly. I, uh, I'm very much like Stephen Moffat's writing uh so but I think I was trying to allude to the fact that I thought this didn't get too carried away in using time travel to get out of the problem caused by time travel <sighs> doesn't matter anyway if, if I, I part of me wishes I could go back in time and change what I said but um but but in a way we we know that that can cause all sorts of problems so let's not but um if 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 you can interpret what I say with the generosity with which I try to express myself and sometimes fail, but the generosity of spirit I try to exude, then we're going to do this podcast fine because this is all about trying to see the good uh, and trying to enjoy the good and trying to watch Doctor Who with an open mind and an open heart and remind ourselves why we like it, particularly as I record this when we're in lockdown where I go on social media and I see people being mean to each other uh, and accentuating the negative because it's so easy to do and there's something quite cathartic about that. I just hope here in this little corner, this little corner of the internet that I'm carving here, uh, that, uh, that, we can, that we can remind ourselves why we like Doctor Who and, and try and, try and uh, escape from all of the the, the difficult things that are flying around us at the moment in a, a world that seems to be full of schisms and uh, people up against each other and people and divisiveness and all sorts of things that, uh, you know, is the world I stepped out of to look at these cameras and speak into this microphone whilst Doctor Who was on. And I'm going to try and do that, even though I am a cynical, glass half empty pessimistic sort of person i'm fighting against my own nature to do this so please help me send some feedback if you like uh send some positive uh vibes to my uh mailing list if you can on www.tobyhaydock.com and let's just try and beat the dark because uh we don't want the future to be awful because frankly i can't afford the silver makeup I'll see you for whatever the next story is. Thanks for joining me for this one. It's the first one. If, if there's things you don't like about this, I'm hoping I'll iron out the kinks. Um, uh, having just celebrated one of the small faces. Uh, and uh, I'll hopefully see you at the next one. Um, thanks to Chris Boyle, who's a great guy. Do seek out his stuff. Uh, he's going to 
I'm going to have a little bit at the end where he plugs his wares. Um, uh, so please avail yourself of them. I hope that's the other thing this does is it maybe introduces you to some creative people. I'm very lucky that I've had an outlet um, thanks to Doctor Who. But Doctor Who's inspired a lot of creative people, uh, far more creative than I am. And, uh, and I hope to maybe bring some of them into your orbit uh, uh, and that uh, as a result of this, if nothing else, you discover them and, uh, uh, and get their podcasts or art or comedy or, or whatever it is that they do. Anyway, I seem to have gone on approximately forever. Um, so uh, 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 let's, uh, let's wind up there. Thanks very much. Uh, keep supporting uh, these things if you can. And to you and yours, the very happiest of times and places. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. I think you'll find. Oh, I was close with the names of those rebel extras in the book. It's Mark, Joab and Zando. Mark, Joab and Zando. I was, I was nearly there. If you don't like to hear a little bit more from me, uh, but you are too old to enrol on the A-level law course at the FE college that I teach at, but you are a fan of trivia that's liberally punctuated with bad language, um, then you can tune into my occasional podcast, Chris Boyle Didn't Know That. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and I'm sure loads of other podcast providers as well. Um, thank you very much, and goodbye. Chris Boyle downplays his comedy in his intro to these episodes, which is typical of him, but also wrong. He's talented, very friendly, somewhat geeky, and very engaging. And uh, I know you'd be tuned in to what he's saying, so please check him out. He's also got a lovely singing voice, and he's putting various videos out there on top of his podcasts. Since recording his biog for us, he has rebooted and relaunched his podcast, which now goes under the name Chris Boyle's Mild Life Crisis. Check it out. You'll have fun. Thank you for listening to Happy Times and Places. This was an omnibus edition of Day of the Daleks, in which Monica was played by Valentine Palmer. And your host was me, Toby Haydock, with special guest, Chris Boyle. I'd like to extend my sincere thanks to patrons James Blackett, Hugh Buchtman, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Paul Cook, Peter Crocker, Dave Curran, Michael Dennis, Tim Dickinson, Pete Dillon Trenchard, Paul Dykes, Andrew East, David Gillespie, Charles Gears, Simon Guerrier, Paul J. Guest, and Siobhan Galichon. The music for this podcast was specially composed by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. And thanks, of course, to everybody else who has been my patron at patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. It's sincerely appreciated and slightly fabergasting. Please do sign up to my mailing list. You'll get monthly updates and goodies if you go to www.tobyhadoke.com and do what you're told there. And if you could rate and review this podcast anywhere you possibly can, but only if you like it, that would be lovely. And if you don't like it and you've listened this far, then you're insane.
Don't forget to subscribe to the official Toby Haydoke YouTube channel.